This is Michigan's with your hosts, Spencer Brown, Stephen Hers, and Stephen Paradise. Now, welcome to the Michigas Podcast. All right, welcome to Michigas special bonus edition. We are back and better than ever, which says a lot more about the present than the past. But we are joined today in our New York studios by Teddy Gutkin, who is a junior sports writer from the Michigan Daily, and of course, our regular Steve Hers, who is the president, founder, and CEO of If Management. And in absentia, we have the Dice, who could not make it here today. So Teddy's sitting in. Teddy is a real, live Michigan student, so you will have the old alums, the fresh, new blood, giving us what's really going on on the Michigan campus and the Michigan football and basketball programs, and of course, the point of views from your regulars. So we'll dive right into it. Teddy, welcome. Good to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Let's jump right into it. 2019 Michigan football. Like, What is the vibe on the Ann Arbor campus, given the disappointments of the past few years? What's your take? Um, well, I think for me personally, this is the most excited I've ever been for Michigan season. You've got Josh Gaddis coming in, one of the masterminds behind Alabama's offense. A lot of people think about Alabama as a defensive oriented program which it is but they also scored they also scored 45 points per game last year that was good for third in the nation you're getting josh gaddis the wide receivers coach coming to handle the keys to the car from michigan's offense i think putting shea patterson in that type of system is gonna lead to a big breakout season maybe even go for over 3,000 yards and Obviously, you lose a lot of big pieces in Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary, and Devin Bush on the defensive side, but you still have guys like Levert Hill and Josh Metellus coming back, and um, some good uh, depth pieces like Carlo Kemp, Michael Dwumfor, and Josh Uche ready to slot in on the line. So, so to sum it up, you're optimistic. Yes. <laughs> What's that translate to for a number for you? Just sitting here right now, and then we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit more. Um, on, on like a, a record? Or? Yeah, what's a record? What's that all mean? I could definitely see it being 11-1 season. 11-1. Yeah. Okay. Now, hers, hers-y, on this podcast, you've never really been the wild-eyed optimist, so 11-1, talk to me. You heard all that. I mean, can we lock that in? I mean, I... I, I, I know I, if we get 11 and one, I'll take that right now. I'll take 10 and two. I'll take nine and three. Depends on who's, who, who are the three and who are the nine. But, I, go, what? but, but my, my, my perspective is akin to the late Wayne Dyer, who famously said, I'll, uh, I think he wrote a book that said, I'll, I'll, I'll see it when I believe it. And I don't believe it. I just, I've lost faith in Jim Harbaugh. I've lost faith in the Michigan program. And, and, and to your point, maybe, maybe, if we give the defense to Don Brown and we give the offense to Josh Gaddis, maybe we have something here. But that's what I think we've heard that they're going to do. It sounds like Harbaugh's relinquishing control on the offensive side. That's going to be all Gaddis. And for the most part, the defensive side's usually been Don Brown's pet project. I hope you're right. How many 55-year-old people can change and give up control? That's the question. I mean, it seems like he's ready to do that. And I think we're going to see a really good season from Shea Patterson as a result. So, so let me flip it for a second. Like, give, what can, Teddy, what concerns you the most going into this season or just looking at the program? You know, we've heard the bull case. Like, what's the, what's the bear case from your perspective? I mean, I think without a doubt the biggest concern is Michigan doesn't know who their starting running back is going to be yet. You lose Karan Higdon, who was a 1,000-yard rusher last year, really the bell cow for that Michigan offense. Chris Evans suspended for the entire season. 
Um, right now, it looks like maybe freshman Zach Charbonnet could slot in, starting running back Christian Turner, who got a little bit of action um, in the bowl game against Florida. True Wilson averaged six yards per carry. There are a lot of options, but there's nobody that I see on that depth chart who I see, and I think he's going to replicate and, what Higdon was able to do. And that's last a good year. point you make. And I think that's kind of where Josh Gaddis's job gets very tough because when you're at Alabama, you got Heisman quality running backs five deep on the depth chart. And in Michigan, if you don't have that, and you're right, Zach Charbonnet is the best hope. He is a burner. But if you don't have that and you don't have any depth there, then that gets the defense, the opposing defense, to really sit on us from a passing situation where you can't do that on Alabama. And, and, and that's a problem. That's so, a big problem. So I'll flip it back to you. Like, what's the, I mean, what's the bull case for you? Like, do you see, do you see a scenario where 11 and 1, 12 and 0, 10 and whatever you want to say is in the cards? And by the way, those wins mean at this point very little if one of them's not Ohio no, State. No, no, I, I, I do. I, I, look, to me, we talked about this before. I think it's about psychology. It's about can people change? Can they learn? Can they grow? And, you know, Nick Saban is famous for wanting to grow and hire people like Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin and want to do better and grow. Do you think you know everything? And if Don Brown was truly humbled by that Ohio State debacle and he's going to grow from it, then we could have a top flight, top two, three defense in the country. If Jim Harbaugh has been humbled by the last four years at Michigan and he's ready to grow and hand off the reins, like you say, to Josh Gaddis, then yeah, I see the potential. We're as talented as any other team in the country and we have as many guys coming back as anyone. You know, we do have obviously running back, but for the most part, we've got a lot of big people coming back. So I, I do see potential. But if we go back into the same bad habits of this control freak business, then, then we're in big trouble. You got to figure, I mean, I guess my perspective that he's willing to change and that we're going to see something different or he wouldn't have made the moves that he made. I mean, he, right after the season, you know, the party line was same coaching staff. And then very quickly you find out, you know, not the same coaching staff. And he's really replaced, you know, the offensive line coach, Ed Warner in, um, you know, and, and now obviously new offensive coordinator. And we're all putting a lot of stock in that. I, I guess that's the bull case, you know, that, that they open up the offense, at least on paper. You've got an unbelievable amount of talent, you know, at wide receiver, quarterback, offensive line is finally settled. You know, if they can move the ball, then, uh, you know, we've got a shot at these games. But, you know, didn't it come down really to the last four years in the big games where, you're not going to be able to pound teams into submission like you used to be able to. You're probably not going to hold them to 17 points and win, you know, 20 to 17. We just didn't have the firepower to compete. That's true. I, I agree. I, I think that was exactly what happened. And also, like our esteemed friend, Mr. Paradise, has said in previous podcasts, you, you're playing a 1970s offense in 2018, now 19. And will that change? That's the question. Ohio State made us look really bad from a game planning perspective last year. No, I mean, I, and, I, I think from the moment almost, really almost the opening drives that game, and I hate to say this because it's usually cliche, we were, we were outcoached. We were outschemed and outcoached. So let me throw that back to you then, Teddy. When, when Steve and I were at Michigan, you know, the great legendary Bo Schembechler, I mean, we always felt like we, we felt like we were going to win every game and obviously didn't happen, but we were really favored to win every game. We, we won't beat Ohio state almost every year, or at least most years. What's the mood on campus? Like people look at Michigan football, you know, and really in your lifetime, they've barely beaten Ohio state. And certainly since you've been at school, you know, the seasons have been disappointed. Like what's the mood there? Like what do people feel about the team? 
honestly, it just feels like we're stuck in Groundhog Day every year. Gets the Thanksgiving break, see OSU's on the schedule. Everybody convinces themselves this might be the year where Michigan finally gets a win against Ohio State. And every year they find a way (laughs) to keep that losing streak going. And honestly, as a fan, it's just the most infuriating day of the year without fail every year. If we're 11 and one and the one is Ohio State, good season, acceptable season, or failure? Uh, Teddy, you want to take that um, as a student? <laughs> I think if you can't close the deal against your biggest rivals, it's not ultimately a super successful season. I'll take the contrarian position here just for the moment that if, if we go uh, 11 and 0 going into the Ohio State game and, and, and we're the number one team in the country or number two, and we lose and drop down to four or five, and either on the just on the outside of the playoff looking in, or we squeak into the playoff, and then we win the playoff game, or we win our bowl game. That's a pretty good season. Like I, I could live with that. That would be a step forward, at least. Interestingly, you know, Michigan State were thirteen and a half point favorites. You know, let's take a look at the schedule for a second. We always focus on Ohio State. Obviously, some other big games on the schedule. Michigan State thirteen and a half favorite uh, at home. So always a big game and especially with recent history but like that's a game we shouldn't even be talking about whether we're going to win i think you guys are looking way way past army i'm very very concerned well that's about a good army. point so let's too. start there seven biggest games of the year i looked up the line so army which i believe uh, i'm going to be at september 7th uh 17 and a half point favorites at home that is insane that's insane army I mean, look, I don't follow Army that closely. I did last year. They've had a young coach, Jeff Munkin. The guy's been unbelievable. They really beat Oklahoma up and down the field last year. They won their bowl game by, I think, 30 points or more. I think it was 70. Right. I think it was, like, what, 70 to 10? Right? right, I think it was the lo- largest bowl yeah. win in, like, 30 years. I mean, and they come in, unless they lost everybody, like, what business do we have as a 17.5-point favorite on Army? Yeah, I think there's two interesting points about the Army game. Uh, Point one is that we can take some hope in the Army program because they lost to Navy 12 years in a row, and now they've beaten them three years straight. Uh, And I had people, friends at West Point, telling me, you know, there were structural issues. They'll never beat Navy again. Well, guess what? You know, they're beating them out consistently. But the other kind of interesting thing, and I'd throw this at you guys, like, (laughs) Why are we scheduling Army? Like, what is the upside? I don't think we knew we were scheduling Army but, but, when but, we scheduled but, Army, Well, so to speak. Army and Air Force, for that matter, run you know, the Army triple option. Army wasn't Army three years ago. No, but they're we... running – I guess my point is they're running the triple option. We've played Air Force twice, I think, in the last 10 years. They run the same offense, and both times had a very difficult time winning that game. And their defense is pretty stingy, too. They only scored one touchdown in I mean, it just seems like if I'm scheduling, touchdowns. I either want to schedule like Middle Tennessee State, which, or, we, have. which we have. As a tough game. too, by the way. Or like Notre Dame, where it's a marquee game. Like Army's such a tweener. I mean, you, I agree with you. We could lose, or at least that game could be very, very tight. I, if right now, if you put a gun to my head and you said, you got to bet your entire life savings. Well, I'll put a gun to your head, hypothetically. Both of no, you guys. I like it better pointed at you, actually, <laughs> yeah. but right, well, let's hear. Hypothetically, no gun pointed at your head, but your entire family savings on the line. You got to go one way or the other. Do you take Michigan, given 17 and a half right now, or taking the 17 and a half with Army? Definitely take Army. People sleep on how Army is just a completely different beast than anything we see with other teams in the FBS. I, I agree. The what do you think, option, Spencer? Like, no, I think I, I would. It uh, basic, but it's 
one of the hardest offenses to stop. Yeah, based on the last two games against Air Force, I would take the points too. We the first game against Air Force should have lost outright. I believe they had the ball with no time left. You know, like one play left, and we stopped them. And I uh, think we should lock that spread in now because it's yeah, going right, to drop. We're going to do that. All right. So <laughs> second big game then, and we won't go through every single game, but let's we'll do these as a bundle. We've got uh, I believe at Wisconsin at Penn State. I think we're favored in both of them, like four or five points. I think Wisconsin could end up being one of the two losses on the schedule this I year. Agree. Camp Randall's such a hard place to win, and Wisconsin's defense and O-line is so good every year. I'm feeling we can we can take care of Wisconsin pretty easily. I'm a little worried Penn State, the whiteout at night. So what's, so let me throw it bigger because we don't want to go through every single game. Like We're all focused on Ohio State. We're all talking 11-1-ish, 10-2. I mean, these are all very aspirational. There's what are the losses? A, there's a team that plays up in State College that isn't too bad. There's, we're know, the losses. In a sitting game, sitting really here today, to let's just say we we've got... We could have five losses easily. Where do we you, could lose to Wisconsin, Michigan State, Army, Ohio State, and Penn State. And, and those Notre could Dame. all be top... Oh, Penn State, six losses. What's the most likely loss, teams? in your opinion, other than Ohio State? Uh, for, me, for me, it's Army. Because you it's think early Army? in the season. We're not well-matched for them. Harbaugh has not impressed me at all early in the season in any of the four years he's been there. So... That, to me, is a very tricky matchup. Most likely loss other than Ohio State. Wisconsin. I don't know what it is with Wisconsin. It just feels like no matter what the sport is, that always, even if Wisconsin's bad, it's always the trap game to end all trap games. And their defense and O-line is so consistently excellent. I think it's going to be a really tough matchup. I think I would go with, I mean, obviously those are good picks. I think just because I can't stand them so much. The night game at home at Notre Dame, you know, is one I'm very nervous about. Obviously the... Uh, Night game at Penn State, the whiteout. Although, you know, Trace McSorley gone, that's going to be a big adjustment for them. So I would say, you know, my biggest nervous game is, uh, is Notre Dame other than, uh, than Ohio State. But think about it. Like right here, you're talking six teams that I think we would all agree have a reasonable chance, reasonable to good chance of beating us. I mean, do you not agree? I agree, and also it's interesting to see how wide open the Big Ten is. I feel like a lot of the teams we've listed hypothetically could potentially make a run at their division title. I mean, you could say the same thing last year. When you looked at the schedule, there were like five or six games. We're like, wow, we could lose five or six games. But when it came down to it, I mean, we blasted Penn State. And like I said, Missourley's going to be a big <laughs> loss. You know, Wisconsin was, was a fairly comfortable win. They could barely move the ball. Michigan State uh, was close but shouldn't have been. So, I mean... I don't know. It really comes down to, I mean, obviously Penn State, Notre Dame, you know, Ohio State, and then I think the next three. And by the way, you've got Iowa on the schedule, which has never been a layup for us. I believe that's in Ann Arbor. That's going to be so, a really tough one, too. Yeah, you've got It's a tough schedule. So Who else do we have? Do we play Purdue this year or no? No, um, I believe it's— Next uh, year, I think. How about Nebraska? No, no uh-uh. Nebraska this year. It's I don't know the whole schedule We have Rutgers every year, luckily. We have Rutgers. Well, we've got the whole, uh, the whole East, and I think in the West this year it is—we uh, should look that up. The big Minnesota? game is Iowa. Don't play Minnesota. I think we've got Northwestern. Uh, okay. I don't. I don't think they're Northwestern this year. Illinois, uh, yeah. Illinois. Okay. So we have six relatively easy I mean, games. But at the same time, I think you look at a lot of the top teams in the Big Ten that are on the schedule this year. Obviously, tough matchups. But I think, with the exception of maybe OSU and Notre Dame, I think Michigan's better on paper than almost every team on the slate this year. I mean, look. Let me give you the 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 the, the, the feel good scenario is that Shea Patterson takes a quantum leap forward here under Josh Gaddis. Zach Charbonnet comes in and is a great freshman running back. Daxton Hill is the next great Michigan defensive player. And all of a sudden, 
11 and 1, 12 and 0, even this is the Phil Steele. You know, this is his mindset. He's got us going to the playoff. I'm an optimist. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm an optimist. But, but let's go back to, you know, I always like to look at the program. Like, where's the program? You know, I've been following this for, for decades, but certainly the, like, the last 10 years with the, the ups and a lot of downs. So with Gaddis coming in, you know, bull and bear case there, like the bear case there, like refute this. Bear case there is one we've seen this movie before. It was called the Doug Nussmeyer story. You know, it was not a particularly, uh, you know, fun movie to watch. Al, Al Borges. Al Borges. Well, that was, Al Borges was like the Pep Hamilton, you know, right. to Doug Nussmeyer. Right. The other one is, uh, you know, Gaddis has never called plays before. So, I mean, we're right. all putting a lot of faith in, uh, you know, speed and space, but guys never called plays. Like, what, what is Te- it? Teddy introduced yeah. him as the wide receivers coach. Think yeah, about that. And- also, you look at some of the guys he's coached. Jordan Matthews, consensus All-American, led the nation in catches in 2012, I think. Jerry Judy, consensus All-American receiver this year. Coach Deshaun Hamilton, Allen Robinson. So how much State. of our... He's worked with a lot of players who have ultimately gone on to have pretty solid careers in the NFL. And in Judy's case, probably a top 10 draft pick next right, April. Right. So in our, in our bull case, our 11-1 and beating Ohio State case... How much of that relies on Gaddis being the real deal? Is it all on him? Is it fifty percent? If he's Nussmeyer no. Redux, like we're you know, I don't think it's all on him. I mean, it, I, I don't think even if Josh Gaddis is the greatest thing, he exceeds all expectations. Even he alone is going to be able to bring us to eleven and one because remember you got you got the other side of the ball, but exactly you got the other side of the ball. You did have a lot of losses on defense, and I mean you lost two two top. 20 picks, right? Two top 15 picks in um, in Devin Bush and Rashawn Gary. You lose Chase Winovich. So that's a lot of that's a lot of manpower to replace. What do you think, Teddy? Yeah, I definitely think in the end, it's all going to be how the defense performs in these big games because it's just as important to keep the team off the scoreboard as it is to get on the scoreboard. And I think especially losing guys like Chase, Sean Gary, Devin Bush, like you said, it's going to be so important to make sure that they're able to keep pace with some of these top offenses on both sides of the ball. No, I mean, I was just saying, like, this, you, you, I want you to come back here a year from now because if we have another 9-3 and three season, I am going to propose that we change the theme music to this podcast, to the Bee Gees, How Deep Is Your Love? Because at the end of the day, I love Spencer. But we've been having these conversations for 35 years, and hope springs eternal with this guy. But at some point, when do you finally admit we are not a great program? The best that we can hope for is that Phil Steele predicts we're going to go to the playoff. I have to admit, I'm getting, I'm getting close. I, I mean, in almost every other aspect of my life, I don't think too many people would characterize me as a wild-eyed optimist, just but I, not. But I can. <laughs> but, but I would say in, in Michigan football, and my wife makes fun of me all the time, every year I'm looking at the Rich Rod the first year. I'm like, ah, you know, we could easily be 9-3, and three, you know, instead we're 3-9. and nine. I think every year I go into the season with hope and expectation. I think this year there is a foundation to it. If, if, and it, for me it really does pretty much live and die, you know, on the Ohio State game. And if you look back, actually, at Michigan football, in contrast to Ohio State, I mean, we haven't won, period. But there's very few years where we beat Ohio State when we're not very good. I think if you link it up with our overall record and years we beat Ohio State, it's almost, you know, a direct. I mean, there were a couple of years in the mid-'90s where we were okay right. and we still won. But I guess my point is, Ohio State, it's at Michigan. They have a rookie head coach. 
They have a quarterback, although highly recruited, that's almost never played. If we can't win this year, I will not be back here in a year sending you this optimistic love story about Michigan football. I think I'm done. Okay, I'm going to predict that you will be back here in a year, but God bless you. I mean, if, if you say you, you can't, you, I don't think you're capable of change. Here's, I, I, maybe. Here's one interesting thing, though. How much worse could we have gotten beaten last year? No, we got beat like a drum. But, it's, but, but what gives me some hope is, look at Teddy. Teddy, if I were a Michigan student, I don't think I could have the hope and optimism that I have because I've never seen us really win these big games. Like, how do you guys stay positive? I mean, I guess it's just the idea that when you're invested in a team, no matter what they do, you're going to stay invested with that team. Like, I've been a Knicks fan my entire life, done literally everything wrong, and I'm still going to tune in and watch as many but games you're as not, I can. But you're not optimistic about the Knicks. You're just, oh, no, you're not loyal. at all. But Let me just give I you think, some advice, Teddy, because you're young. Root for the Nets. I, I believe it was Sarah Palin who said, Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not. How's that hopey thing going? No, but like every year, you think like, all right, like maybe this is going to be the draft pick that finally pans out. Maybe this is the year we finally make it back to the playoffs. With Michigan, it's the t- same type of deal where you're so invested in these players and this team that every year you talk yourself into thinking that this is finally going to be the year where it happens. And then and you finally get on campus and you realize you went to a baseball school. <laughs> yes. yeah, no, Let but me e- flip up. But even well, if it doesn't happen this year... Guarantee well, you'll we're be having back. This you'll be back next year. July. I'm not sure. Right. I'm going to be thinking. This let is let gonna me be just flip quickly to defense. You know, we've talked a lot about offense on defense. We lost three key players. Let me just throw one thing at you guys, and, and you can either vehemently uh, agree or not. Obviously, like Rashawn Gary's not that big a loss in the sense that yes, he's obviously a top pick, but for Michigan, playing for Michigan, wasn't it more potential than actually realized greatness? Absolutely. Yeah. I think he was a very disappointing college football player. Couldn't agree more. I think that's right. So you're really looking at the law. And he was great. There were injuries and whatever. But really great at moments. It was always about potential and speed. But I don't think that's going to be as big a loss as people are saying. Bush is a huge loss. But look, it's college football. I mean, no, you've got I agree to replace these guys. I, I think Winovich is a bigger loss yeah. from an Winovich, output perspective. Especially as the heart and soul of that entire And Devin Bush, too. And Bush. So I, mean, I think on the defense, you know, we don't obviously – all recruits are potential. Dax Hill coming in, really the first massive five-star since Gary, um, if he pans out. And they've got a lot of depth. I mean, I think the defense could be just as good as it's been the past few years. So to me, you know, it rises and falls on the offense. That's where we need to make strides to, to finally, you know, get over the hump and make this thing happen. So let me end with a couple things. A um, couple questions. One, do we need to be just yes or no? Do we need to beat OSU this year to keep this to make this program, or get it over the hump, or you know, is it just another year? Well, I go back to the original comment. We definitely need to beat Ohio State this year to get it over the hump. Except in this crazy scenario, going back to 2006, where we were the number one team in the country, we lose to Ohio State, we end up getting bumped out by Florida for the national championship game but urban meyer correct but if if we were to go from one to four if we lose to ohio state as the number one team in the country and drop to four and get in the playoff fine with me i'll take that right now i completely agree i think if osu is the one loss i still think if they're able to run the gauntlet with the rest of the schedule i could 100 percent see that being more than enough to get into the college football playoff i know i said earlier in the show that beating osu is everything but Getting back to the playoff, I think, is more important than getting that win against OSU. I go the other way. I mean, to me, it's all about beating Ohio State. Maybe that's because I'm a traditionalist. The college football playoff, uh, I could 
Obviously, I'd like to be in that, having beaten Ohio State. If we lose to Ohio State, you know, you can keep that as well. Do you well. think Ohio State actually gives a crap if they beat us, I mean, relatively speaking, in terms of their overall goals? I mean, that's where I think you're kind of like, you're, you're worried about, you're, you're playing the 1970s game. You, you think Corny Green is still quarterbacking Ohio State. Well, there's two things about Ohio State that, that always amazes me. One is how proud of the fact that they can spell Ohio they are. You know, I mean, they spell that O-H-I-O like it's uh, Mississippi. The second is that they actually still care about beating us. I know. After all these years, I mean, I agree with you. Like, what's the big deal? They've done it 15 years Maybe in a row. Maybe they're just pretending to care. They don't even care anymore. Could be. So, uh, quickly, bold prediction. Teddy, what's a bold prediction here? I think Michigan is going to beat OSU, Michigan State, and Notre Dame at home this year. I think they're going to beat all of them, and I could, and I think they're going to make the playoff as a three seed. I think Michigan goes 6-6. Six and six. Jim Harbaugh gets fired, and Shemi Schembechler becomes the new coach of the University of Michigan next year, even though he has no coaching experience, because the university is so wedded to its past that it's the only hope they have of bringing back past glory. I don't think it's a bold prediction, but I think we finally get over the hump and, uh, and run the table this year. I think we're 11-1, and one, lose one of the, you know, the Iowa-type games, and, uh, and run the rest of it. So in our remaining time, I want to completely switch topics uh, and go back to a theme that has been a recurring one on this podcast, which is basketball, John Beeline, and obviously with him leaving now, Jawan Howard. Hersey, give me your take. So first of all, is is Jawan Howard? Does he have the potential to be better than Bo Ryan? He does. Okay. So when 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 I first spoke to Dave Revson about this, he said, "What do you think of Jawan Howard?" And I said, "It's kind of like if your daughter was dating a guy you couldn't stand, and one day she comes home and tells you they got they they eloped. All of a sudden, you love your new son-in-law because you have to." So I didn't love the Jawan Howard hire because he has no experience. But I have to be honest. I'm, he's starting to win me over. He won me over in the press conference. And the thing I really like about him is he's aiming high. He's going to be a totally different coach than Beeline, less X's and O's, and more focused on getting better players. And I think if he can get some five stars, I, I think we'll be okay. I mean, I think the other thing you have to remember is the guys who endorsed Howard in the lead-up to him getting the Michigan job. You had Pat Riley, one of the best coaches of all time, saying he would hire Juwan, LeBron James, and D-Wade voicing their support to the best players of the 21st century. These guys are all experts on what it takes to be a great college coach in 2019. But Pat Riley has a pretty good good idea of what it takes to win, I'd say, almost anywhere. And Eric Spoltro, who has two NBA championships and had Howard on his staff. Look, I I, I said he's winning me over. I hope hope he's going to be great. Yeah, I think, I mean, given limited choices, I mean, Beeline, you know, resigned and took another job so michigan had to obviously make a decision to me it's a good it's a good decision again given the choices that they had anyone that's been on pat riley's bench you know for five plus years and and is in good standing you know that's a pretty solid endorsement and i am impressed by the fact that that joan howard by all accounts you know has made a lot of money in the nba and yet was willing to put in the hard work, you know, on a Pat Riley staff means he's not just in this. And he shows up in Omaha. Yeah, there you go. Which was amazing. Right, exactly. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm actually pretty optimistic. It's going to be a different Michigan basketball program. Like you said, they're going to aim high and try to get some five stars, probably be less X's and O's and less less tactical. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, Beeline got them to the finals twice, had a very good run. But uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic about this. This year may be a little tough. But I think the the program, you know, future looks great. Yeah, I think it'll take a couple years for Howard to really hit the ground running once he gets his own guys in. But I think of the candidates who they were looking at, I don't think they could have picked a better guy for the job. The only, the only 
negative to think about if I have to always be the pessimist here is what other examples can you give us of a former player going back to his own school with no coaching experience and thriving. I mean, but Howard had experiences. No head coaching coach. experience or no college coaching experience. Look, again, I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I want to be wrong. No, I think that's a fair point. I mean, again, I'm less upset about the no experience because Michigan had a decision really forced upon them and any decision had risk around it. The risk here is he has no coaching experience. I mean, Penny Hardaway is another one where he's got no coaching experience on the college level. And we don't know. He's recruiting right. very well. Jerry so, Stackhouse is very Yeah, I just think now. it was a good bet, but we'll see. You know, it was, it was, again, a situation late in the season where, you know, there was risk inherent in anything that we did. I agree. All right, closing thoughts, Teddy? Um, I just want it to be August already so we can get the season started. Really looking forward to it. I just have to put one nightmare scenario into your heads because uh, this is not that crazy. Middle Tennessee is a very, very good mid-level school. They, they win their bowl game often. They're a very good you know, school of their ilk. Always a great defense. Worst case scenario is they beat us game one. We come out on our heels. Army beats us. We're 0-2. Then that's just like the ultimate doomsday scenario for Michigan. And it's not as crazy as you think. So that's kind of what keeps me up at night. It's pretty crazy. I believe we're like a 30-point favorite over Middle Tennessee. Or we're Central, 41-point favorites against we, Appalachian we've done, State. There's no question that worse things have happened and could happen. Uh, I'm not quite going there, but I have to say, like, when I was walking out of the Buffalo Wild Wings this year uh, after the OSU debacle, which I went back to because I was there two years ago with that – wasn't a debacle, but that nightmare. I was like, I'm not falling for this again. And I have. I've fallen for it again. I think – Closing statement is, barring something unforeseen, if we can't do it this year, it's going to be a new Spencer Brown with a little less of that hopey type thing that Sarah was talking about. Can I, can I say one last thing? You can say two last one things. One of the most amazing things, I've known Spencer for 35 years now, is that you'd never know it, but he's actually a hopeless romantic. He really is. And, and I really admire that about you. Other than family, this is, this is my one true love. Cadence 13 in Michigan. Closing thought, Teddy, are we done? Um... I think we've really covered everything, I guess. Closing thought is I really think that Shea Patterson in Josh Gaddis' system could play himself into a trip to New York as a Heisman finalist. All I right. truly believe that. That's a bold prediction. All right, we appreciate Thank you, you tuning in to Thank, the latest Michigan. Teddy, thanks for being here. A little youth to add to experience, and we will be back preseason to summarize where we are going in. Take care. <laughs>